Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here. We welcome you in the name of Jesus. If you're here for the very first time, we're so glad you're with us. And uh, we're in the, if you have, if this is your first time or maybe you haven't been here last, last couple of weeks, we're in the middle of a series, exactly in the middle of a five-week series called Connect. And this series is designed uh, to talk about how we connect with God through prayer. But we haven't just been talking about prayer during this month of January. In addition to the daily prayer that each of you may or may not be doing at home, uh, we're praying here seven days a week. Obviously, on the weekends, we have prayer uh, in worship, and uh, I'm going to be praying during the message and after the message. But on Mondays through Saturdays, we've been gathering here also at 6.30 in the morning uh, every day. Uh, for an hour of prayer time, and sometimes it's longer than an hour for some of us, but we've been gathering. The most, I guess, was 39 people showed up. The least showed up was 15, and somewhere in between there, uh, day by day by day by day, every day, um, to other uh, and praise God and read His Word uh, briefly. And then we break into groups of two, three, or four people, and we pray and ask God to, to meet our needs. We glorify Him for who He is, and, and all those different kind of things that we do when we connect with God. And what we've seen is God's doing some powerful stuff during, uh, during our prayer time, and as a result of it, he's also helping us to connect with each other. I would encourage you, if you haven't yet made it to a Monday through Saturday prayer time, uh, to 6.30 in the morning right here, to join us, because we're going to be doing it every day uh, through the 30th of January. I, I'm thinking that tomorrow morning might be a challenging time. to. to I, I'm leading tomorrow morning, and I know I'm going to have a struggle getting out of bed because I'm going to be watching, I don't know, what's on at 8.20 tonight. But anyway, um, I'm pretty sure that it's going to be hard to wake up at 4.30 tomorrow morning. Uh, so it will be easier if uh, the golden black wins. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's it. I keep getting these little tangents. Last night it happened to me, but I'm going to try to stay focused. Okay, so... We've been talking, uh, as we've been talking about prayer, we've been sort of focusing through the Lord's Prayer during these five weeks. And we've been taking one section at a time, working our way through what it means to pray, what Jesus thought was important in prayer. And one of the things that uh, we found out the very first week is Jesus told us when we pray to say that we have our Heavenly Father. We pray to our Heavenly Father. And when Jesus called God Father, I mean, that would just scandalized the religious leaders of his day because they saw God as distant and transcendent and unapproachable and holy. And now Jesus obviously saw God, his father, as holy, but he saw God so much differently. He saw God as, as our loving, heavenly father. And, and when he called him father, it wasn't like he was talking about our earthly fathers. He was talking about perfection. He was talking about loving, generous, kind, and every good thing that you can think of in a personal relationship between a parent and a child. And in fact, Jesus told us in another place, we shouldn't even call any earthly person father because that name should really be reserved for God, our Heavenly Father. So the other thing is about the our Heavenly Father thing is the our. It's not like God is my God and God is your God individually. He's our God together. We should never think of God just as mine. He's not mine. He's, he's ours. And, and certainly we have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But um, knowing the living God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's a team sport. We do it together. And so, in fact, as we look at the Lord's Prayer, what we find is every phrase has first-person plural pronouns. We, 
our in us. Never, never me, my, you know, never me, myself, and I. It's not about that. It's about us together as we pray. And so today we're going to move to a phrase in the Lord's Prayer, and I actually think it's the most difficult one for us to take seriously because of the opulence we live in in the United States of America. In fact, I'm going to ask a few questions right now to get us primed for our study of this particular phrase in the Lord's Prayer. So the, the last time that you went to your closet or your laundry basket and you said, I have nothing to wear, how many of you literally had nothing to wear? The last time you went to your refrigerator, your freezer, your pantry, and there's, you said, there's nothing to eat, how many of you literally had nothing to eat? The last time you went to your garage or you went outside where you park your car and there was no car, how many of you who say, I don't have two nickels to rub together, really don't have two nickels to rub together? You see, we say stuff like that all the time, and I'm not minimizing that there are, I'm sure there are some people in New Life who are having very difficult financial times, and, and it is a struggle to put food on the table and clothes on your back and a place to live in, and, and you might not have a car. But for most of us who live in the United States of America, when we say those things, we don't really mean them because we live in a, 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 in a nation of abundance. In fact, if, if you made individually, if you cleared $34,000 after taxes in 2016, you're in the top 1% of wealth in the entire world. In the entire world, okay? So if you're a couple and you made $60,000 $8,000 after taxes, you're in the top 1% of riches in the entire world. So what that means is when we read this phrase, which we're going to read today, give us today the food we need, it's a little bit hard for us to sort of relate with that. I mean, I have my daily food. I have, I have the stuff I need. Most of us would say, well, I mean, what's, what's he talking about here? So let's look at, and we're going to look at the whole Lord's Prayer, but before we do that, let's look at our take-home point this morning. And the take-home point is the one point that we make uh, in our messages, and we hope that we'll all take it home, we'll think about it, pray about it, and most importantly, we'll live it out in the week ahead. And so here it is. Everything we are and have is a gift from God. Now, again, the statement's true. Everything we are and have is a gift from God. But sometimes it's hard for us to even think about that because we have so much. And I understand that much is a relative term. None of us has as much as Bill Gates, for example. Many of us might think we don't have as much as our neighbor. That's who, usually who we compare ourselves to. Well, I don't have as much as my neighbor. But we all, almost all, have far more than we need. So how do we, how do we wrap our brain around this idea that we need to depend on God for our daily needs and that everything we are and have is you know, a gift from him? How, how do we really think about that? Well, here's, here's, I'm going to actually have uh, Lucy put it up on the screen. Every time we think about something that we are or have, every time that we think about something we are or have, we thank God until thanking God is our default response to his blessings in our lives. You see, it's gratitude that is the antidote to taking for granted the blessings of God. Every time we say thank you, it reminds us that we didn't do this ourselves, that it was God who provided it for us. And one of the things that I've noticed over the, the years, and I, I've been a pastor for three decades, you know, and I've been going on mission trips all those years. And when I take people on mission trips to less fortunate countries, what always happens, always happens is people ask me this question. How can these be people be so happy when they don't have 
anything or, or really so little? How can they be so happy when they have so little? That's the question I get every place I've ever taken people. And here's the, the simple answer. It's from my experience. I think the answer is this. It's easier to be grateful to God when you have little because then you can't delude yourself into thinking that everything you have is because of what you did and how hard you worked and how smart you are. You realize it truly is a blessing from God. And so, so for us, if, if you or I had been born in Cambodia, for example, or we had been born in Haiti, it would be very unlikely that we would dress the way we dress. It would be really unlikely that we would have a car to drive. In fact, a few years ago, this isn't Cambodia or Haiti, but I was in Cuba, and I happened to have my iPad with me, and, and I was, you know, I was talking to four or five Cuban pastors and missionaries, and anyway, we were, they said, you know, do you have pictures of your house? So I showed them pictures of my house, and outside of my house, there were three cars. Well, the garage door was open, two cars in the garage, and one car, you know, beside. And some of you have heard this story before, but many of you haven't. And, and so, um, you know, this guy says, you have three cars. And, and I said, well, one's a 1997 Toyota. And he said, well, I'll trade you my bicycle for your 1997 Toyota. Um, you see, his best, his best mode of transportation was a bicycle. Now, now, when we hear stories like that, sometimes, you know, I mean, th those stories are true. Th th that's actually the way it is in the world. If you live in Cambodia or Haiti, you're poorer than if you live in the United States. Now, there's, you know, there, there's a few people that aren't, but m the vast majority. And so people hear that, and what happens is we feel guilty. That's one response. I, I feel so guilty because I have so much. You know who wants us to feel guilty because we have so much? The devil. The devil wants us to feel guilty because we have so much, because the devil wants us to think about the fact that we are, that, you know, that it's us, that it, we did this. And instead of thinking about we should be thankful, grateful to God, because the reason we have so much is because of the blessings of God in our lives. And so the focus shouldn't even be on our stuff. The focus should be on God. But the devil doesn't ever want us to focus on God. So he doesn't want us to focus on the reality that God is the giver of every good thing, as we're going to read about this morning. He doesn't want us to focus on the reality that we don't own it. It's not our stuff. I mean, we should feel guilty if it's all our stuff, but if it's God's stuff and he just gave it to us to, to use to his glory, that's a different thing. And, you know, the other response that people have sometimes is, you know, when they have all their stuff is they say, well, i got to keep my stuff. You know, I, 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 have to, I have to take care of my stuff. I mean, after all, I worked hard for this, and I can't help it that people are lazy. I can't help it that people don't know how to invest and save and plan. And, and, and actually, King Solomon of Israel, you know, who wrote uh, the book of Proverbs, the wisest man who ever lived before Jesus, he told us that we should invest and save and plan. So it's not wrong to do any of those things. But what happens is the devil will even twist the truth of the Bible. So that instead of realizing that investing and planning and saving isn't just so that we can have the biggest heap of stuff, it's so that during our lifetimes, we will be able to share what we have with those who don't have anything so that we are able to um, use our resources during our lifetime to advance the kingdom of God. You see, if we hold loosely to our stuff and share it with other people near and far, then what happens is God is glorified and our lives are so much better than when we do either the guilt thing or the, you know, the hoarding thing. Neither of those things are from God. Those are both from the devil. So if everything we are and have is a gift from God, our basic response is gratitude. And gratitude always leads to generosity because generosity comes from understanding it's not my stuff. God gave it to me. He wants me to bless others. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. Now, here's the thing. If we have that attitude, 
We're doing something that's very important. We're acknowledging that there's a God in the first place. Do you realize you can't be grateful if there's no God? I mean, seriously, we cannot be grateful if there's no God. If there's no God who created everything, if we're just all random chance, if, if everything that happened is either chance and evolution and human ingenuity, then we can't be grateful for the fact that we have clothes to wear and that we have a roof over our head, that we have a car to drive to church. None of that stuff. You can't be grateful for God's blessings because there are no blessings if there's no God and there's no curse. There's no blessing or curse. If there's no God, it's just all random stuff. Now, why do I say that? Because there's a lot of people in the world today who believe there's no God, and it's absurd. I mean, really, think about it. How many things do you know of in the world that, that appeared out of nothing? In, it, we're, we're supposed to believe that the whole universe came from nothing. And yet, in our experience, nothing ever comes from nothing. <laughs> Everything that we see came from something. There's a cause. Every effect has a cause. And, and yet, we're supposed to believe that the biggest effect in the whole universe, the universe itself, had no cause. And the reality is what we believe, if you believe in God, is there's only one uncaused cause. That's God. God was not caused. He's just always been there. Then he caused everything else, and then there are effects. So I don't want to go down that path today. I just bring it up simply to point out that when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us today the food we need, we're acknowledging two important things, that there's a God and that he can provide the things we need. And he does, right? Okay, so... So as we think about those things today, we're going to put that into context of the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to focus in like a laser on that section that says, give us today the food we need. So let's turn right now, if you will, with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. If you have your Connect 31-day guide uh, to deeper faith through prayer, you can turn to page 25. And if you don't have one of those and you want one, you can raise your hand and somebody will bring it to you right now. But uh, this guide is a daily guide as we, we've been using it since January 1. Every day we'll use it till the end of the month um, to help us focus in on God and, and connecting with him. But anyway, today we're going to look at Matthew uh, 6 verses 9 to 15 together. Before we do that, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much that you exist, that you created all that exists, that you created us and that you want to have a relationship with us. God, we thank you that I'm not just talking to the air right now, but I'm talking to you. And that together we come before you and we say, fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. Fill us up to overflowing so that we not only can experience you personally, but so that we can share your love, your truth, your grace, and your power with others. We pray today that as we turn to your word, that you will imprint it not only in our minds, but in our hearts, our souls, God, our very spirits, that we can go out of this place changed from the, from the inside out so that we will be light and salt in the world around us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, either on the screen or uh, on page 25, would you please read aloud with me Jesus' words about what prayer uh, is supposed to look like? So let's read together. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So, I hope that as we've been reading that little short prayer, it's only 62 words. 
you see how much Jesus packed into those 62 words. In fact, as we look at that prayer, it sort of concludes, it includes everything we can think of except for really confessing our sins. He says we should forgive others. He doesn't really say we should confess our sins, but that's covered in enough places in, in his teaching and in the other teachings of the Bible. We don't need to, to worry about that right now, but we're going to hone in on this phrase, give us today the food we need. And, and if you grew up in the church, you may have grown up saying, give us this day our daily bread, right? So both things mean the same thing. Give us the food we need. Give us our daily bread. What that means is we're asking God to provide our basic needs every day. And the interesting thing I found out, and actually it was a new thing to me, I didn't realize that the, the adjective, you know, where we say daily bread, um, daily is an adjective, right, because it describes the, the bread. Well, it, it probably isn't daily, because the word daily is a Greek word, hemeris, and it's not the word that's used there. In fact, the word that's used there is a word that's never used in the Bible anywhere, ever, and it's not used in any ancient Greek writings outside of the Bible. So in other words, it's a unique word, only used there, and the word is epiousius, and no one knows exactly what it means. But if you sort of take the roots and put it all together, it probably means, I love this translation, super essential, super essential. So he is saying, pray for God to give us our super essential bread. Now that doesn't sound like normal everyday bread, does it? Super essential probably means the spiritual component as well as the physical component. I love that because whether it just means daily bread or whether it means the super essential nature of God into us, what it reminds us of is we need that every day. We need God to provide for our needs every single day. And it's God who provides it. And this idea that it's our bread, not my bread, but our bread, uh, and that it's a super central thing, it goes against the stream of just about everything in the individualistic culture in which we live. Because we're taught that all we need to do is work a little harder, think a little bit smarter, do, you know, do this, you know, all of these things. And if we do all these things, we'll have what we need. But what this says is that we need to rely on God. And one of the things I love, it, I love it when I'm talking with people about this whole idea of diligence because we are supposed to be diligent. And they go, yeah, well, you know, my favorite verse is God helps those who help themselves. And, and I, whenever I want to have a little fun, I always say, um, would you tell me what book, chapter, and verse that is? Because God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. In fact, believe it or not, the, the first place it ever occurs is in two of Aesop's fables in ancient Greece. And most people, modern people, think that Benjamin Franklin is the one who coined that phrase, but he isn't. In fact, I, I found this out, a guy who I never heard of before, Algernon Sidney. Anybody ever heard of Algernon Sidney? I didn't either. He was a politician in England, and he was executed in 1683 because he told people that we should get rid of the king. Apparently, he did more than told them that because you don't usually get executed just for... But anyway... He got executed. Before he got executed, sometime before that, he had written, God helps those who help themselves. Now, that thinking, there's a commendable part of that because we should work really hard. We should do what we can do to, you know, we, we shouldn't just sit around expecting God to drop that bread on our plate. We need to do what we can do. But at the same time, what Jesus wanted us to remember is even the ability to work is a gift from God. We were told that in the Old Testament. Every good and perfect gift is from God. In fact, that's what I want to focus on right now. We're going to turn to a book of the Bible written by Jesus' stepbrother, James. Now, it's interesting. When Jesus was alive, James didn't believe he was the Son of God. But after Jesus rose from the dead, James became a believer. 
I can, I can relate with that because I have three brothers. And if any of them told me they were God, they would have to rise from the dead for me to believe it too. You know, I mean, really, I don't think it's very easy to believe that your brother or sister is God unless they do something like rise from the dead. But anyway, after Jesus rose from the dead, James became a believer. And he was, a, he was a leader in the early church, and he wrote this book we call James uh, after him, and he said this about God's provision. He said, so don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving his, us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession and so what James is doing, he's making three brief but very powerful points. Number one is that whatever's good and perfect, it's from God. Number two is that God gave us birth through his true word. It's God's truth that actually makes us who we are. And number three is that we are God's prized possession. Wow, isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing to think that every good thing we have in our lives comes from God and that because of his truth, we can be his people. And, and number three is that we're his prized possession. You see, those who think that everything's an accident, that this whole thing came out of because of you know, random chance and evolution and human ingenuity, uh, they just think of us as the top of the food chain. Did you ever think about that? You know, why are we at the top of the food chain? Because the whole theory of evolution is the survival of the fittest. Well, we aren't the fittest. Go up against a Bengal tiger someday if you think you're the fittest, right? Or a grizzly bear. No, we're the smartest. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, I, I almost was going to say what my dad used to say about smart people. I ain't going to do that. Okay, so anyway, so anyway, the point is, if you think you're that smart, you're not as smart as you think you are. I'll just put it that way. Okay, so anyway, um, when we think about all of this concept that God created everything and, and it's, all the good stuff is for us, and that his truth basically frees us and, and makes us who we are, and, and that he thinks of us, of us as his prized possession, this helps us to understand the idea of stewardship. Because if everything is God's in the first place, he gives it to us as a, really as a trust, and, and we use it, then when we live our lives every day, then the op opportunity we have is to take this super essential life that we receive and, and to share it with others. So... Uh, this past week, I read a really great book. I recommend it to all of you. It was written by a lawyer. I was really surprised to find out that a lawyer would write a really great book. But anyway, it's called Love Does by Bob Goff. And, and in this book, Love Does, he has a chapter that's called Stalking Jesus. And, and in, in the chapter, the point he makes is, we all know what a stalker is, right? A stalker is somebody who stands at a distance and follows a person. And, you know, in our day, they would have big telephoto lenses and they take pictures of the person and they know what time the person gets up in the morning and what the person has for breakfast and lunch and all that. They know what time they go to bed. They know all their habits. They know everything about the person. But what they don't know is the person. You see, for a stalker, for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, just they're just odd or they're, they're mentally ill or whatever reason, with all of their obsessive thoughts about the person, they never actually come into a relationship with the person. And what Bob Goff says is, Jesus doesn't want stalkers. He wants followers. So what does that have to do with God providing our daily food? What, is, what does that have to do with um, the idea that every good and perfect gift comes from God and that his truth uh, is what forms us and that, that we're his prized possession. Well, actually, it has everything to do with it. 
Because here's today's commitment. And, and if you think I'm at the end of the message because I'm at that commitment, it's just unusual because we're like three-fourths of the way through the message, and I'm giving you the commitment right now. Okay, because this shows that God doesn't want, Jesus doesn't want stalkers. He wants followers. It says this, I will rely on God for all my needs this week. You see, we can write that down in a notebook. In fact, we already wrote it down for you in this notebook. You can, you can write down, you know, um, I will rely on God for all my needs. And then down here, you can write some notes about that, and you can write extensive notes about what it means to rely on God for all of our needs um, as we go about our day. We could do that, too. And, and then we could, um, we could think about what does the word rely actually mean. And we could do all of those things. But that's not following Jesus. That's just stalking. Jesus doesn't want stalkers. He wants people who believe and trust in him, live into him as Savior. And Savior means he saved us from sin and death. And Lord, which means he's the owner of our lives and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to live the way he wants us to live. So imagine what's going to happen in our lives this week when we do that. What will happen as we, each and every one of us in this room, rely on God for our daily needs, for our super essential and our essential needs each day? What's going to happen is we're going to be grateful. Because every time we get something, we're going to go, thank you, God. I mean, every time we get some little thing, we're going to say, grateful. I'm grateful to you. Thank you, God. And when that happens, what we're going to do is we're going to look around. And we're going to see people who don't have what they need. And it might be here in our own community. It might be our next-door neighbor. It might be somebody in the country far away. But what happens when we have an attitude of gratitude and we realize that we're relying on God for all of our needs, we start to say, hmm, I could do something about that. You see, I could make a difference. I could share some of what I have with the people that don't have anything. And what happens is it depends on whether we're followers or whether we're stalkers, what we do. Because over the years, you know, we've had opportunities to do various things and people who are, and actually, here's what a stalker will say. You know, I'm going to be generous in my life after I have saved for my children's education, after I have my, my retirement fully subscribed, after I pay off my car, after I pay off my mortgage, after I, after I, after I. Someday I'm going to be generous. That's what a stalker says. And I've seen that. But more and more and more here at New Life, what I see are people who are actually following Jesus. And when people are actually following Jesus, I, I, I mean, you all do incredible things. And, and last year, for example, this time of year, everybody knows what this time of year is. We get ready for Cuba, right? So we're getting ready for Cuba again. So we have an opportunity once again to supply resources to Cuba over these next couple of weeks. And um, in your connection, if you're new here, we call this our connection like bulletin or program. Inside, there's, a, there's an insert that says Cuba Mission Trip Needs. And it lists various kinds of tangible stuff like baseballs and guitar strings and ink pens, stuff like that. And it's going to tell you that for, for, you know, a few bucks, you could buy a pair of shoes for a Cuban pastor. And you go, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, if you don't have shoes, a pair of shoes makes a big difference when you're walking five miles to your church. You know, bare feet is harder than shoes. Or you could buy a bicycle for a Cuban pastor. Cue, bicycle's way better than, bare, than shoes or bare feet, right? Or you could pay a pastor's salary. Or you could buy a church building. Now, here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is, you look out here, uh, there's, a, there's a little picture out here. It has 13 churches. That's all there are this year is 13 churches. The cheapest one is $1,400. For $1,400, you could buy a church building, which would mean that a pastor would have a place to meet, and he could bring people that don't know Jesus into the kingdom of God. The most expensive one's only 4600 this year. If we bought all 13, it would cost less than $40,000. How crazy is that? I mean, it's going to cost 250000 for us to build a balcony in this room. 
It's going to cost $3 million to build the Children's Nurture and Discipleship Center. For less than $40,000, we can plant 13 churches in Cuba. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that the people of New Life are doing more and more and more. You all, us, we are. We are doing more and more and more because instead of stalking Jesus, we decided to follow him. And when we follow Jesus, our, our attitude becomes an attitude of gratitude and an attitude of stewardship, of sharing things that we can. Now, I want to I do something to show you a very practical thing about stewardship and about, about really about giving. This is a good pen. Actually, somebody gave it to me. Uh, ministry Grid, that's uh, people down in Tennessee. They gave us this pen. This pen's like more than a 20-cent pen. This is probably several dollars, this pen. Okay, well, why am I bringing that up? Well, when you look and it says bring you know, ballpoint pens in, some of you will go out and you'll look at Walmart and you'll buy a pack of 10 pens for a buck. And, and, and thank you if you do. I mean, that's, that's following Jesus. That's not stalking Jesus. But I've been to Cuba six times. This will be my seventh trip to Cuba. And every day, the first day, we pass out notebooks and pens. And when we pass out the pens, you know, I pass out this $3 pen to the one guy, and I pass out a 39-cent pen to another guy. And both of them say the same thing, gracias, thank you. But the guy that's getting a 39-cent pen, he knows he's getting a 39-cent pen. He knows it might not write by the time he leaves the conference. And this guy knows that this pen's going to last for a really long time. And the thing is, you might think, pen, what are you, what are you wasting time talking about a pen? Because... For me, I mean, I use a computer to write my sermons, and if you want a copy of the sermon, you can go out there and it's right out there printed for you, or you can go online and you can watch it. But you know what? If this guy doesn't have a pen in Cuba, the pastor or woman, if the pastor in Cuba doesn't have a pen, they can't write down their message, they can't write down their Bible studies, so that means that after it's over, it's over. And I know the statistics. Tomorrow morning, you're going to remember 12% of what I said today. <laughs> Talk about a thing that makes a preacher cry, right? Okay, so if you're in Cuba and you're listening to your pastor and your pastor can't pass on anything in writing or video, then that means that it's, it's you know, 12%. But, I mean, if, if you wanted to, you could remember 100% of what I said by going out there and getting the video, I mean, getting the written copy. Well, he can write it down, and then he can take the piece of paper he writes on, and he can pass it on to the elder in the church. And that elder will read it, you know, and pass it on to another elder, and they can learn it. You know how you learn, right? By repetition. Repetition is mother learning. Okay, so I understand. I'm starting to preach. I'll quit. Okay, but the bottom line is that when we give generously, we, we give something. We give the best we can give. And you all have done a great job of that. But I just want to say, if you're going to buy pens, please, buy the ones that cost like three bucks. I know that's 10 times three is 30 bucks. That's, that's a lot more than 10 times 10 cents, 10, one buck. But... It will, be, it, will, it will advance the cause of the kingdom of God in Cuba more if you do it this way, right? So here's the coolest thing. In fact, I want you to see this up on the screen. We are the answer to their prayers. That is the Cubans, the Cambodians, the Haitians, the, all these other people, and people right here in Saxonburg and people in Sarver and stuff, uh, for God to provide their daily or super essential bread. So let's provide the best that we can. And, and, you know, as we provide pens and as we provide houses, churches, as we provide balconies, as we provide, you know, Christian nurture centers, what are we doing? We are providing for the needs, ultimately, of thousands of people. I just think it's so cool. Every day, every day when I pray, God, please provide my needs. He does. And, and, and he has done that more. He's provided more than I need. And, and so then I get to provide the needs of other people. I don't have to. I get to, you know, think about that. If we're following Jesus, you know, we don't have to get, we don't have to do anything. I mean, really, you don't have to do anything but die, right? 
But, but we get to look around and say, here's an opportunity, here's an opportunity, here's an opportunity. And, and so every day what I have to do, I get to do, is I get to sit down with Nancy and we talk about, boy, God has blessed us in so many different ways. How are we going to bless other people? And that's what you get to do if you're following Jesus and not just stalking him. And it's an amazing and wonderful thing. So when we give those baseballs, and, and you know, there's another thing. You're going to look at this list and go, baseball, really? I'll tell you what I saw two years ago when I was in Cuba. We were driving past this field, you know. There were two little kids out there. One had a stick. It was about this big around. The other one had a stone. It was about this big. And the little kid was throwing the stone to the kid with the stick. And guess what? The, the kid was hitting the stone with the stick. And I was thinking, wow, no wonder they're such good baseball players. Right? I mean, if you could hit a stone with a stick, I'm pretty sure you could hit a baseball with a bat. But, but it's more fun to hit a baseball with a bat than it is to hit a stone with a stick. It's the same principle, but it's more fun. And when you, I've, I've seen a little kid, a little Cuban kid, get a baseball. And it's like, I mean, I don't, can't even compare what it would be like to give to an American kid. You, you know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, there, we have so much stuff, I don't even know what it would be like. But, but it's so amazing. So when you, whenever you go shopping and you think about those things that you're going to give, think about the other end. Because I get to see the other end and you don't. And in fact, somebody said to me the other day, what about these churches? That, I mean, we've bought 44 churches over the past six years. Well, are, are they going? How are they doing? Well, the answer to that is they're all doing fine. I, do I have videos of that? No, because I'm not allowed to do that. I'm not really even allowed to show pictures of that. But I can tell you something. If you look out there, the third picture over from the top, if you're looking at one, two, three, this picture up here on the right, I preached in that building last year. I preached in that house last year. It's in Falcone. You would call it Falcon. It's Falcone. And, and I, I thought of Batman. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. My mind just goes all over the place, you know. But Falcone, uh, and I was a little scared when I was in Falcone because I'm thinking, you know, is it really where they get the name? But anyway, it wasn't worth being afraid about because there were about 20 people in this little building. And they don't own the building. But we could help them own that building. I just think, in fact, I'm almost trying to figure out what I need to sell so I can buy that building. So I can go preach there in their building instead of just some, you know, rented uh, whatever. So for you, everything I said this morning needs to be filtered in just one simple way. God, give us today the food we need. And when you do, I'm going to use it to help. First of all, I'm going to eat. You know, that's a good thing. You eat. Then the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to feed my family. Then if there's any left over, instead of hoarding it or feel guilty about it, I'm going to use it to your glory in my lifetime because I only get one lifetime. And in this one lifetime, I'm going to make a difference for eternity. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you're, you're there. Every moment of every day, and no matter if we speak to you in Spanish or English or French or whatever language you understand us, and God, today, as we, have, as we have focused on your provision in our lives, we, we acknowledge that every good and perfect gift is from you. And so, God, today, we pray that you would give us the same heart that you have, a generous heart, that we would be grateful to you for all that you give and that we would um, show our grateful hearts by, by making them generous. And God, I, I thank you in advance for what the people of this church are going to do. Uh, in the way of the Cuba ministry this year. And I thank you uh, for all the things they've already done. And God, we pray that day by day by day, we would become followers, 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 and not stalkers. God, that our love would be translated into action every moment of every day so that you would be glorified, so that your kingdom will grow, 
And so that people who hear us talk about you will know it's not just talk. All of these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.